But I think even more than that, where I give credit is taking the fear away from it. I think as any one of us, whether we have uh, as a parent or other mentors in our life, when I can see somebody ahead of me make a decision without fear, then I'm not crippled by the fear aspect. Hey everyone, I'm Jeremy Haig, the Editor-in-Chief of the monthly Denver Landlords Digest newsletter, proudly presented by Key Renter Denver Property Management, and we're on a mission. We understand that being a landlord or property investor comes with its fair share of challenges, and that's why we're here to help. With nine years of hands-on experience managing over a thousand rental properties, we've been through the trenches and learned the ropes so you don't have to. The Denver Landlord's Digest is your passport to the world of successful landlordship, curated by our team to provide essential insights to thousands of landlords and rental property investors worldwide. With our new monthly podcast, we want to take you behind the scenes of the Digest as we sit down with local industry experts, diving into burning topics related to rental properties and providing you valuable insights and actionable advice. Not a reader of the Digest yet? Click the link in the show notes so you never miss an upcoming issue and visit our website at keyrenterdenver.com to check out our archive of past issues. Now, let's jump into today's conversation and discover new ways to thrive in the world of rental property management. Welcome to the Denver Landlords Digest podcast. Welcome everyone to the very first Denver Landlords Digest podcast. My name is Jeremy Haig. I'm the editor-in-chief of our monthly Landlords Digest e-newsletter that comes out proudly produced by all of our team here at Key Renter Denver Property Management. And I'm going to be the moderator of our new monthly podcast that you are currently tuned into today. So before we get started, I want to take a second and just introduce my fellow moderator for each one of these episodes and my co-host. Brandon Skolton, who is our CEO here at Key Renter Denver Property Management. Brandon, I'm so excited to start this with you, start uh, a space for these thought leadership conversations with people in the industry. And before we begin, I just wondered if I could ask you to share a little bit with our listeners a bit about what you hope to create with the Digest and with this podcast space. Kind of what are we hoping to gain out of creating this space together? Yeah, um, happy to share on that. So when we... I think this kind of started to form probably a couple of years ago, but um, we officially launched the Denver Landlords Digest newsletter January of 2023. And kind of leading up to that, I think the the thought was there's just a ton out there in the world of like how to evaluate the deal, how to, you know, all these pro formas and just strategies around how to build a real estate empire and house hacking and all these things. But what I've found there not to be nearly as much of is just um, help in kind of the day-to-day. I own a rental property and I'm kind of pulling my hair out and it's stressing me out and, you know, I wasn't expecting this. And so the, so it just seemed like there was a little bit of a void that we could help fill there of, and the, the language we came up with was we want to help landlords in the Denver area be prepared operationally, financially, and emotionally for owning rental property. Um, I think there's a huge trap we see of clients, you know, get their first rental property. Maybe they 
they move in with the spouse or something and then and they have this property they try renting it for a year or two and it's just too stressful for mm -hmm. them and so they sell it and and it's just a huge missed opportunity they had great debt on that property the numbers made sense if they would have been able to be better prepared for it i think they it would have been a really really good long-term investment so i think we've also learned that in our industry working in property management for as many years as you have been kind of shepherding uh, this particular franchise, we've learned a lot through ups and downs, mistakes like, wow, I really wish I would have done that differently next time. And I think providing a little bit of that context to people to help them avoid some of those pitfalls and some of those easily avoidable mistakes. I didn't speak to that specifically. I'll just jump in though. Please, yeah. no. I mean, we have these just thousands and thousands of hours of experience. And so to your point, like we'll have these things happen with a client where something, you know, the tenant breaks something and we've the owner of the property is just losing their mind over it, thinking like, oh my gosh, this is never going to work. I shouldn't have done this. And we're going like, this happens all the time. It's right. no big deal. We're going to recoup the money. Like, you know, that was one where it's like, let's, how do we better prepare people on rental property for just the things that are the normal course of it? And it doesn't mean that it's off track or not performing. It's just something that, yeah, had you known to expect it, it would have been no big deal. But. Absolutely. Yeah. And this kind of piggybacks off of the newsletter that we've been releasing each month this year so far. I think we're on our 10th one now in October. And if you're not subscribed to Denver Landlords Digest, make sure you check out, there will be a link in our show notes that you can subscribe to make sure you get kind of the supplemental information. But if you're joining us from the Digest, I think this is just a great additional space that we can create to dive deeper into the conversations. If you enjoyed the topics that came up in the digest and you're ready to hear more and kind of join the conversation, it's a great way for you to kind of get under the hood, come behind the scenes with us a little bit as we have these conversations and prepare uh, what we want to talk about. Is there any like listener that you think is like our ideal listener? If somebody is listening to this for the first time, is there any particular type of personality or person in uh, the real estate investment or property investment space that might really benefit from this. I know we're going to speak yeah. to so many different people over the course of these, but I think one way I saw it is it's it's somebody who's got a rental property or two. You know, they. I think oftentimes there's been a lot of headspace dedicated to evaluating the the potential of this and and everything, but then just the day to day uh, is is really feeling overwhelming. Yeah, and now it's like okay, there's. There's no bigger pockets podcast for like right. what to do when you're just tenant is making you lose your mind, like and they're right. just playing games with you. And we, we our hope is that this is kind of agnostic to whether or not you use property management. I think um, certainly it's different whether you do or don't, but either way we're just trying to add some value of like what you should expect. And hiring a property manager doesn't make all this go away. You're still having to make decisions and deal with expenses and uh, things you didn't foresee and vacancy and things like that. So we're trying to, that, that's kind of the target audience there of just like people who really want to be prepared for what it, this is going to be like as you get going on this journey. Absolutely. Thank you, Brandon. Um, and today, kind of to kick off our very first one, I'm really excited we get to welcome a really good friend of ours here at Key Renter and a longtime collaborator on kind of anything that we choose to do. You're always there to support us and help us. Uh, and provide your insight and expertise. You are a senior loan officer, and uh, this is Seth Van Essen, who's a really long-term friend of ours here at Key Renter. And I wondered, would you just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and kind of your journey in this industry? 
Yeah, well, first of all, I just want to say thanks for the opportunity to be here today. And um, as you mentioned, longtime friend and just huge admirer of what you guys are doing, um, not only your expertise, but just kind of you're forerunning a lot of thought stuff in the industry. It's just been a huge help to me, uh, all the collaboration we've done and uh, over the years, it's been fun. And so, yeah, really appreciate the opportunity to be here today. Yeah, I was born and raised in Denver, so Colorado native. It's been a fun journey kind of exploring some of the real estate side. Uh, when I graduated, I actually went to school in California, came back uh, after meeting my wife and was able to jump right into uh, commercial lending. So I started in the commercial world uh, right out of school. That was a huge learning experience, uh, a lot to learn there. And then looked at my wife in 2008 was like, I don't know if we're going to be able to eat anymore, uh, kind of when the industry shifted. Uh, so actually made this shift over to the residential side. So now I've been in residential lending for about 15 years now. Uh, it's been a huge uh, learning curve. It's been fun um, all the way through. I think starting was, hey, I just need to pay the bills and figure out how to do that. And it's actually turned into a huge passion, helping people on their journey of the home buying process. And then in that, it kind of turned from day job stuff of trying to help people and get the financing and navigate all the, the paths there to really the investing journey uh, kind of on the personal side. So uh, actually I had the opportunity to join my dad's team. He's been doing real or the lending, residential lending for about 40 years now. So it's been fun to join his team, but then also had a huge mentor in him when it came to real estate investing. And so that world was kind of two different worlds for me. One is on the investing side and how do I participate in rentals and all sorts of stuff from fix and flips to long-term rentals and short-term rentals, mid-term rentals, even a mobile home park at one point and everything in between. And it's been a, a journey of the positives and negatives. Um, but then the investing side kind of overlapped with the my day job side, the lending side and realizing, wow, this is so powerful for people. Real estate is so powerful. And so just really trying to learn how to articulate, how to educate on that process for what I would say the, the average American, the average Joe who's saying, hey, I, I want to figure this out. I know real estate's powerful, but I don't know how to get there. I don't know how to make this a, a real life thing. And so that's been kind of the journey then for the last maybe decade or so is figuring out how to educate, articulate, um, and even bring in that lending side to specifically the investor arena, as well as first-time home buyers and so forth. So I love that. Thank you so much. And you're going to be a perfect voice to kind of join us on the conversation that I want to open uh, with you guys today. But I would like to ask one more personal question just so our listeners can get to know you a little bit. You mentioned this a little bit just now. I would love to hear about kind of what role mentors or, or people who kind of showed you the opportunities in this industry played in your uh, trajectory into the roles that you play now and, and kind of what that's meant to you. Yeah, I can start there. So like Seth, my my mom was kind of the one who was uh, very passionate about real estate investing. Yeah, she had an MBA in finance and got involved in, in as just a residential real estate broker. Very much like Seth, she just became this like I think that was part of maybe her personality was like anything she was interested in part of how she just understood it and made sense of it and and acted on it was just to talk about it and so she was always partnering on deals and it, it kind of I just saw that that energy for it and, it and it really in your younger years like a role model does they just kind of create this like category for you of like oh of course there's a ton of opportunity in real estate right. investing I've seen that you know from through my parents 
Um, and so she passed away when I was 19. So I, I don't feel like she handed me all these tactics for it. Sure. It was more just like, I knew this was like something that would be a part of my life too, kind of. Yeah. And so as soon as like my first opportunity came up to, um, buy an investment property or move out of my condo and not sell it, like it, I didn't have to like, it didn't feel scary or unusual or anything like that. It just felt very natural. And I, um, I would also add, I ended up working for some real estate investors for a number of years. So just being involved in that, like seeing the deals they'd put together and how they'd source money and stuff, I think I, I think I, I have to give them a lot of credit too for just like making me aware of more on the tactical side, just different things in play, like seeing actual deals come together. And, and some perspective. Um, yeah. 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 So I mentioned already, I had the opportunity to join my dad's team. Um, so never when I was, you know, growing up, did I figure I was going to be 10 years old and be a loan officer someday. But <laughs> I, after hearing him so many times, you know, take loan applications, I it was in the blood, but it started actually earlier than real estate. And I think what I learned or saw from him, it goes back to my garage sailing days where hey, learning how to see things uh, in a different way. So whether that was, you know, him making me go up to the person at the garage sale, oh, you want that, you know, soccer ball and the fishing pole? Well, hey, let's let's go negotiate that. Let's talk about that. Let's figure out, hey, what do you want? How to get it at a deal or put a package deal together? So it actually started with the creativity when I was really young to start thinking outside the box. And that translated into real estate and seeing some of the tactical side of actually the, the reality of that. But I think even more than that, where I give credit is taking the fear away from it. I think as any one of us, whether we have uh, as a parent or other mentors in our life, when I can see somebody ahead of me make a decision without fear, then I'm not crippled by the fear aspect. And so I think that was a huge advantage, again, early on in life, but later into real estate. That's a great point. If you're the only person you know who owns a rental property, it's going to feel like a very precarious thing to be doing. And yeah, absolutely. There must be a reason nobody else is jumping in on this. And I have a feeling going to be quite a few people listening to this that might relate to that fear or that sentiment. So thank you for that. That was a really great perspective. I would like to use our first conversation today, as this is our very first episode, to discuss kind of who an accidental landlord might be. I think there are quite a few people who find themselves in the rental space that may not have anticipated that or planned for that um, for various different reasons, which we can get into. But I thought that this might be a really good conversation to have to kind of set the tone, too, for also some of the the type of listeners who might really benefit from following through with us on this journey through this podcast and through the digest in general. So I wondered if um, I'll throw this one to, to you first, Brandon, would you give me a little bit of a description or definition in your mind of what an accidental landlord is from your experience? Some people sure. may know this phrasing or this terminology and may, some may not. Um, and just kind of like some scenarios that might put somebody in this category. Yeah, sure. I don't know the full like history of when this term was coined or anything like that, but uh, my assumption is this kind of really became a thing back in the like Great Recession when you truly had what, what, what we used to call accidental landlords was somebody who literally couldn't sell their house. Yeah. They bought it and they, they would have to bring $50,000 to closing in order to get the deal done or, you know, going to foreclosure, right? Those are kind of the options and they're getting moved for work or something like that. And that that's just not where we're at today. So um, we, we still hear the term and everything, but it doesn't, it's not truly the person who has no other alternatives. But I think I think what it's become is just this category for you probably didn't buy the property that, you know, this property that you have that you're going to rent 
was not bought with the intention to rent it. So, so what we, we see a few scenarios. Sometimes it's just like people who maybe have a little bit of that, like, oh, I had this uncle growing up who like made a ton of money in real estate. And so I know that that's a thing. So these people will call us and, and be like, hey, I'm moving, you know, our family's growing and we're going to the suburbs or whatever. Like, we just kind of wanted to explore maybe renting would make sense. And mm-hmm. I don't think I want to manage it. So, so like, that's often someone that we deal with. Um, it can also be a, be like an inheritance, you know, maybe mom's finally, it's time to move her into a, you know, assisted living place or something. And we want to keep the house for sentimental reasons right. or, or maybe we'll move back there someday. There's some of that too, whether it be the inherited home or like the, you know, I'm, I'm getting transferred out of state for work. I don't necessarily know how it's going to go there. Like we, I may hate the city or the job or whatever, so I don't want to have to buy back into this market. So let's just hold on to it and kind of see how this goes. We see some of that. So those are probably the most common ones that I see. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was curious your kind of reflections on how you might run into this type of landlord in your experience. We have this running joke with the sales team at Key Renter that's just kind of become a little adage is like friends don't let friends sell their home at 3% interest rate. Yeah. Well, I think uh, Brandon hit it on the head of there's different markets. So a historical market where this you know term was probably coined was I couldn't do anything with it back in you know 2008. It's like you're underwater on a home. We're in a very different market right now. There's actually more equity in real estate across the nation than we've ever seen before. Um, So it's not the situation. People can get out of their property more than likely, but I would call it maybe a different term. I'd almost say today we're actually finding more of the curious investor. So it's Mm. not the accidental as much as it is the curious saying, I know real estate wins. I know it works. I know that somebody across the board, every, I say silent millionaire that people know is because of real estate but it's the curious side of, I just don't know how to bridge the gap maybe. And so a lot of those same situations, divorce situations, moving out of state, just upsizing, uh, my family's growing, but maybe what if I keep my property? And because of yeah, low interest rates, intrinsically, I know that it's a good, it's a good thing that I have a low interest rate. I don't know what that means financially maybe, mm-hmm. but I know it's good. So let's have the conversation. So um, almost in this market, it has become more of the curious investor um, that I found at least, you know, probably half the people listening to this. There's a reason you're listening because of the curiosity investor. So absolutely, we're maybe starting to see. Uh, I think we're getting our first calls in like since we opened our doors because we've only been around like eight and a half years. So we weren't getting the truly accidental that we described first. But all of a sudden, I think we've gotten a few calls of like. You know, I I would actually have to bring some money to closing because I bought at the peak a year ago and, you know, just with commissions and stuff. So a little bit of that just because things have kind of flattened out. But, yeah. What do you see as opportunities just kind of in this industry in general for people who find themselves in the curious or accidental? What uh, We talk a little bit about the gap that's been created essentially of like the decision process of like, I'm going to move in this direction. What do you think some of that transition looks like both in terms of like a mindset for investors, as well as maybe some tactical advice of like, here's some ways that maybe you can take a little bit more control of your situation. Absolutely. I think when I come to the, even the term accidental, it, it is more victim oriented in terms of the word. Right. And so anything else in life that we have an accident, it was unknown. I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't planning on it. I didn't know about it. Well, when it comes then to investing, I think where the gap is bridged is where you become not the victim. You take opportunity and that's education, I think is huge. 
Um, but one of the terms that we talked about a little bit earlier, even this idea of investing is fear. So I think fear is a huge piece of, in, of bridging a gap. Um, and a lot of that through education takes the monster out of the closet. So my 11 year old son, when he comes out and he's like, dad, I heard something in the closet and I turn the lights on and open it up and realize, oh, it was just your you know football that fell off the shelf. Like, great. It's not so scary anymore when you turn the light on and now you're, you're actually seeing what's actually there. I think that's the same thing for investors is when you take the fear out through education to actually understand the process, understand why other investors are doing it, understand why a 3% interest rate on your current mortgage is going to make the numbers work. Then it's not so scary anymore. And you move out of accidental, you move out of victim. And so that's just been a huge thing as I've had conversations with a lot of homeowners turning investor or people trying to choose that, that path intentionally again, can be a very simple process of going from zero to, hey, you know more than you know 90% of the people out there through a couple of hours of research, and it's not so scary anymore. Absolutely. Yeah, maybe what I would add is um, a lot of the calls that we get from people um, where, again, they're that kind of curious investor. I like that. Yeah, um, I do too. Phrase of just the first thing that they go to is like, um, they notice that they think they might be able to rent their property for 2500 and their payments 2000 And so it's just like, this might make sense, right? There's 500 bucks for me every month. And so I'd say part of that transition, even for us, starts like with that conversation of, first of all, like, no, it's not 500 bucks because you're going to have some vacancy and maintenance and we charge to manage the property and whatever. So it's like, let's be more realistic with the actual numbers and, and what costs you can expect and that kind of thing. But then also let's be grow our conception of what the benefits are of owning rental property, right? Like you're not calling me about this 500 bucks because you're like, that would really change my lifestyle if I could get $500 a month or like, I need this to survive. That was just your own, your only criteria you could think of to say this might be a good deal. So I think that's where we can just dig into like, you might have a property that more or less breaks even, but it still makes a ton of sense. You're appreciate, you know, it's appreciating every year. You're getting a tax benefit from it. You're paying down your loan. So just kind of elevating the conversation, I think, is like the start of, yeah, just understanding of and and move towards intentional investing. Yeah. And I love the phrase that you used of friends don't let friends sell their homes, right? Because I think there's this reality of once you understand the power of real estate, then it becomes a conversation of passion. And that's where I get excited. And even some of the investing classes that we teach specifically, we start with saying, okay, I'm not a financial planner, but right now there's 10,000 people retiring every day with an average of only $200,000 in retirement. Mm. It's not working. Something is broken in our system. And especially when we're talking to maybe this younger generation, 401ks aren't going to cut it. Right. Social security is going away. And so if we can have an alternative plan to say, hey, what if you owned one, two or three properties? Again, the goal isn't for you to be part of a country club and own a yacht. Like that's not the goal. But what if you could add to a long term investment strategy? Well, those who are in real estate, who are doing investing, understand the power of that. So friends don't let friends sell houses. It's turning a curious investor into somebody who's knowledgeable that, wow, this is maybe doable. It's maybe part of the plan that can add significant value to somebody's legacy kind of in the long run. Absolutely. This is a great kind of transition into one of the next questions that I had that I'm going to reshape just a little bit. Um, my question was originally going to be, do you think it's necessary to be a more purposeful investor to achieve success? 
but I'm going to rephrase that a little bit and I kind of want to approach it from this way instead. If I'm listening to this podcast today and I'm curious in achieving and going after what you just described, do I have to do that in order to achieve success? And if so, how might I be able to get myself into that lake or into that pool of uh, these more purposeful or purposefully minded people? Like if I'm kind of standing on the edge of the pool and I really want to get in and I don't know how to, what would you encourage me to do? Yeah, I would start by maybe the 100,000 of you. One of them we already talked about is this fear idea. I think the other side of that is risk. So there's two sides of the coin. One, one is fear and the other side is risk. If I can put people around me that can educate me so that I take the monster out of the closet, it's not so scary anymore. But on the flip side, I want to mitigate risk. I don't want to just jump in the deep end and say, now I'm drowning. That's a bad situation for the curious investor just to say, well, I might as well do it because somebody, everybody else is doing it. So I think there is purposeful education, making certain steps. It's going to be more active than just throwing money at a 401k. Yet in that, I think you can mitigate risk with a team. And so that's where there's a lot of different expertise kind of in the industry. There's a lot of different roles. There's a lot of different partners that could come alongside you that you actually don't have to be the expert. So mm. you don't have to go from zero to 10. You do have to make maybe direction to understand what how it works and how to mitigate risk and all those things. But you can also put experts around you so that, great, you don't have to quit your day job and make this your full-time thing. And I think um, even now as a, an investor doing lots of stuff, I still operate that way. I want my investments to be investments. I don't want that to be my day job. So I put lots of professionals, including you guys, in places that you guys are good at what you're good at. And I the experts are good at what they're good at. So that helps to say, hey, you maybe don't have to go from zero to a hundred. You can, you can dip your toe in and there's still some learning, but also putting the right people in place to mitigate risk. Yeah. I think I would add, I, I think of this idea that, um, this woman, Jen has an organization. I can't remember her last name right now. Her organization's called the Pledgeettes. She came and uh, oh, yeah. did a little presentation, but she, um, at, at Key Renner, but she, um, has this idea of financial friends mm. and, and it was very, I thought what was so profound about it was it was like diverse. It's not like, she's like, there's going to be people on this list who like, you just enjoy like hanging out with and like talking about like opportunities, but like, you're not going to tell them how much is in your bank account or right. like, you know, there's like different levels of vulnerability here and, and there's just different things that people bring to the table. So I think, I think part of it is just kind of like starting to surround yourself with people who, um, yeah, sometimes it's as tactical as like a CPA who could just help you make good decisions as, as far as the tax side of this. Yeah, so there's it's a combination of experts and maybe people there maybe there's people you just go have a drink with when you have a win and that's all it is, right? Of yeah. like you guys. Yeah, I think I think that's a big part of it um on top of just like the education that that subsides that fear. And I just want to clarify like we're not saying just cuz you have a 3% rate that at 100% you got to rent it whatever, right? No, absolutely not. Um and I know that's not the intent there, but um it's like let's leave the ego and fear aside and just try to have like a sound look at this and and make a good decision, right? Examine all possibilities rather than, yeah. Totally. I, I would I would also say you use the word success. Mm. So um, you said, what does it take to be successful with this? And I think like part of what, how we're defining success is like, I don't want people like losing a ton of sleep over it and like yelling at our staff. And so like part of success, it's not, it's not like you're going to become a multimillionaire, but it's just like, you're also on this path with enough preparedness that like, you're not losing sleep and you're not, it's not consuming you 
Uh, you're not making bad decisions out of emotion and things like that. So, And you're cash flowing the way that you've identified is necessary for you rather than what somebody else has identified for kind of a blanket statement or for themselves. Totally. Of just... Yeah, part of success is just defining it for yourself. Yeah, right? exactly. So, but I think everyone's definition of success should probably include not losing their mind in the process, right? Right. So, right. <laughs> that's part of what we're in service of here. No, this is great because I would love to hear in your experience kind of working with the clients that we have at Key Renter, have you found some people achieve that identified form of, quote, success that may not identify themselves as the more purposefully driven investor. Have you seen that happen sometimes where people sure. may genuinely just be taking care of an inheritance or have had to move out of state for another job and just can't take the time to manage it themselves effectively the way they would like to, but still would identify themselves as succeeding in that space? Absolutely. Yeah. There's lots of examples I can think of. Yeah, I can think of one. They, you know, somebody who moved out of state for a job. They knew it was just for a season of life, like nearing retirement, um, and they love Colorado, and you know they anticipate kids and grandkids being around and that kind of thing. So they just wanted, you know, to. They're not just going to let their home sit empty. That that certainly carries some risk, and um, so it was a way to just monetize that and and make sure they have a place to move back into when they when the time comes they love the house that yeah. kind of thing. So, yeah, that they don't need this big picture of ROI and cap rates and everything. They can be successful, but again, it still helps to be prepared for what you can expect and all of that. When it comes to if if some people may be like, well, I really just ended up with this property in my lap. I really can't afford to to pay for management. I do feel like I'm living in a little bit of chaos. But I still want to find a way to to find some peace and stability in this. Are there any tips that either of you could share of like how, what first steps could you take to become a little bit more a little bit more empowered as a landlord and as a, a self manager if if you are managing this on your own and don't really have a huge support system? We definitely talked about trying to bring in some more experts and some more minds to help you kind of educate and uh, toss ideas around. Are there anything else that you would recommend that, that people attempt to do? I would maybe say a starting point would be one of our issues of the digest was on financial preparedness. So I, I might start there of just having enough in reserves. Like that'll cause a lot of financial distress if you all of a sudden have a repair you can't afford and your tenant's upset because they don't have AC or whatever. Right. So I think just that's a that's a baby step of get realistic about how much you're going to get in rent, you know, what kind of expenses you should expect, uh, what you should have in reserves, you know, maybe some proactive maintenance that'll save you from the real big ticket items. Um, I would start there for that, that kind of person. Yeah. And I'd probably reiterate or agree with that. That's half the conversations I'm having is just financial conversations, but rather than just like, Oh, what's your loan payment? What goes into a loan payment? It's actually a bigger and broader conversation of like, budgeting and let's look at your global finances because reserves are so huge, but there's actually lots of ways to free up reserves that people maybe are unaware of that now it takes it from a stressful situation to a not stressful situation. And even as we look at that of like reallocating certain budget things of like, oh, well, I'm putting $500 a month to savings. And it's like, but you already have your savings. What's, what's the goal of the savings? So now you're feeling stressed because you keep putting money in savings. Maybe for a year, you don't have to put it in savings or, you know, there's certain conversations that have been maybe hundred thousand foot view on the broader financial picture. And I think that's a good starting place is get the finances in line 
not just specifically for a property, but how that fits into the global picture of just budget in general or long-term strategy, retirement income, those kind of things. I think when you when you take a step back, um, it actually frees that up to be a little bit less stressful. I know it's probably not the most popular product in this market, but I've I know Seth's even worked with some people on like doing like a cash out refi just so that part of it was just to fund some reserves, right? Because mm. it's like, you're too lean right now. And there's like, there's a saying in business of like, nothing will ruin your business quicker than running out of cash. Like you, it doesn't matter how many other things go right. If you run out of cash, it's over. So right. kind of the same ideal idea there of like, that is a pretty big priority of like making sure you can withstand some ups and downs, some vacancy, you know, new roof, whatever. When you talk about financial preparedness, I know we're getting a little bit more specific into the finance side here, but if I'm managing on my own, what's like the general rule of thumb of how much I should have? I know every situation's different. Every rental property is different. Every person is different. Is there like a general area that I should be trying to prepare myself for or, or anything that you would normally suggest to somebody who might be renting for the first time or, or in, in investment properties for the first time? I'll let Seth take that one. Yeah, so many of the conversations that I have all go back to this risk part of it, right? So you have fear and risk. Well, if I'm mitigating risk, there's lots of ways to mitigate risk. One of those is going to be just reserves in general for a property. Well, if I have a short-term rental in a market that it's a ski market and all of a sudden it's summer and I don't have enough reserves to get through summer, that's a, a much bigger risk, right? So I have to have more reserves entering summer than I do entering winter when I'm going to get 90% of my revenue. But if it's a long-term rental and it's got a five-year lease on it, I might have to have less because it's a brand new property. So I think it's all situationally based and how do you mitigate risk based on that? But generally speaking, I like to you know, start the conversation by saying, hey, six to eight months of expenses and a lot of those expenses, you know, it kind of depends on if you want to include, you know, utilities. Well, if you don't have a tenant in there, you're not necessarily paying high utilities. So is it just the bare bones minimum of can you make your mortgage payment? Can you if you had to turn off the electricity, are you going to be fine? Just bare bones to get by for six to eight months is kind of a good starting place, knowing it can obviously go up or down from there. Perfect. OK. Yeah, I might just add that this is there's a lot of ways to be really creative here cuz I, I certainly appreciate some people are like I don't I don't have the money. Like what am I supposed to do? I know that like Dave Ramsey says I should fund my emergency fund, but like I don't have the money. So yeah, I just think it's like a place to not just think well I, I guess I need to start saving more and, you know, cut my cable to try to get reserves. I think there's a lot of other alternatives there and um and even now I think like one thing we've seen in the lending world is with these like forbearance programs and things like that, there's just a lot of ways to navigate like a, a cash shortage, right? So being aware of some of your options on that, if you are pretty thin and feeling like you're, you know, on the verge of, of running out of money or whatever, like I think it can really help just to look at all the available credit you have and where you can possibly tap from and where you can lower expenses for a period and that kind of thing. And so much of that too, there's a lot of products now where, again, just statistically, there's a lot of equity in homes. So not everybody is in that situation, but generally speaking, the equity in homes are able to be accessed through lines of credit. There's lots of even personal lines of credit where even if it is more expensive on a smaller amount, but that helps you make your mortgage payment, there's still ways to look at it from a global perspective. So absolutely to 
yeah, even one step further to say, hey, there's lots of ways to get that cash or available, you know, places to dip into um, if it is keeping a property or whatnot. Thinking also for the listener who may not own any rental property yet and is listening because it's something that's been like percolating on their mind or something that they're interested in or they hear so many people talking about it. I know this is kind of taking a slight step back, but I also think it's a worthwhile question to explore why why investment properties in general? Like why – what is it about this particular area of financial stability that seems to be so effective? Yeah, I think so often that conversation starts with just the general value of real estate. Why is real estate so important? I think sometimes the conversations I've had with a renter to a first-time home buyer to investor as kind of the progress, usually there's an order to that for a certain reason. Um, and so going from a renter to investor, it just requires more cash up front and different things where oftentimes I do recommend the first step of just be a homeowner. Uh, if you look statistically of the homeowner um, versus a renter has 40 times greater net worth, um, which is a huge, you know, statistic just to show, hey, the value of owning versus renting. I think in our current market, you know, we're having this conversation in October of 2023. The rates have been the highest they've been in 20-ish years. Um, people are saying, hey, it's the most unaffordable that it's ever been. I would argue that it's actually one of the best times to become a home buyer because there's more opportunity for discounts, for sellers to pay your closing costs, even buy down options. So this is me speaking purely from the lending side. And there's a lot of programs geared that way to to help. Yeah, I would I would add, I think like we had we had one client who was a renter himself and owned like 10 rental properties. So you do see the exceptions yeah. on this. But, sure. Um, and so like every situation is unique and, and people can navigate that. But um, oftentimes that it, like I would say 99% of um, the people we talk to and manage for owned a home before they bought rental property. And, and you know, it's a lower percent, but still a good chunk of those. Their first rental property was a primary residence right before it was a rental property. So that is like a very natural progression and you just get the best debt and all the programs are available for home buyers and they don't take that away when you move out. So it can work really well there. One other thing I was going to say is just uh, an old saying in the real estate world is the easiest way to become a millionaire is to buy a million dollar property and pay it off over 30 years mm -hmm. while a, you know, while a tenant pays your mortgage. So like we could overcomplicate it, but it's just honestly kind of simple, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Um, if you can find your way, find a way to, to buy something like that, it's like, it's a pretty foolproof way to, to get there. So putting you on the spot a little bit um, and not holding you to this number by any means, but just kind of, if you were to guesstimate kind of what percent of the clients that work with us at key renter might can, might consider themselves or identify with this idea of the accidental landlord that we've presented. What, what kind of percentage of the market would, would you think that might yeah, be? Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably, it's probably, 70% or that's kind of what I thought something, too. Um, initially. Right. And mm -hmm. I think we certainly see, or at least that's how they got into it. Right. I think a lot of them do make this transition of, yeah. When, like, I think one of the big hurdles to clear is like, like the first time you go buy a rental property, right. That kind of puts you in a different category. And, um, once people get there, it's like a very different, yeah, you, you can just tell you have different conversations with them and they're, right. they're thinking differently about these about the performance of it and that kind of thing. So yeah, at least, at least coming on like the initial people, 
like the calls we get from new people, it's probably, yeah, like 70% or something. But, um, yeah, those that have been with us for a while often have bought another property, that kind of thing. And I think that's something that we've taken a lot of pride and, and purpose towards a lot of our marketing, trying to provide a space that's educating and, and helping people kind of open the door towards this slight shift in, in mindset. And I think that's kind of where this podcast fits as well. Yeah. I kind of One thing I'd just say on that is I think we see a lot of people come in with a lot of fear and oftentimes I'd say we probably even underappreciate that, right? And we could do more to educate up front and make sure, you know, they really know what to expect and, and are prepared for this. Um, so even though we, we kind of cross that first hurdle of like, all right, they're ready to go. They're going to keep this as a rental property. They're signing up. Oftentimes that fear is like they just got over the threshold, but it's still so close beneath the surface that the first thing that goes wrong, they can't help but think, I knew this was a bad idea. I Totally. I would just say that's a very normal experience if that describes any of our listeners. And so it's a process, you know, you're not going to get over it by one conversation or one book or something like that. It's, it's a process of educating yourself and surrounding yourself with people you can talk with about this and that kind of thing. We're kind of just about 10 minutes towards the end of our episode. So I thought maybe I'd just open the floor for a moment for any other tips or advice or anything else that you kind of would reflect on when thinking about this type of investor Anything that you learned from your experience or any particular clients or stories that really stood out to you of, wow, like that was a real success moment for this individual or, or kind of anything like that that you feel like would be relevant and important to share with listeners as we kind of get towards the end today? Yeah, I think the course of my journey, not only for me personally, but in now having these conversations with a lot of the accidental investor from the beginning or the person who started with a primary and moved to a new primary and kept it as a rental. I think the joy is seeing the hindsight, you know, and it is emotional. It is potentially fearful. It is potentially like, Oh, I knew, I knew this was going to happen. But I think the longer that people stick with it in the journey, I don't see people regretting it when it's three years in and it, you know, now they've navigated through some of the hurdles or the things that have felt sticky. And, you know, people are like, oh, I I should have never done that. I rarely have those conversations. And I think that adds to like the excitement of it, of like, yes, like it, it, it's the lowest barrier to entry to something so great. And I think that's what gets exciting. And so, I mean, I, one, I just remember specifically, it was like a 22 year old young guy just out of college and he was able to buy his first house and figure out how to pay the mortgage. He rented out a room. Somebody helped pay the mortgage. Well, now he moved from that one. And, you know, I think he's 28 now and he's got five properties. And again, it's like that might be a unique instance, but it's like doable. And he started not knowing anything. And he was able to surround himself with people and ask questions and enter it with a humble attitude and be like, yeah, teach me. I'm ready to go. Let's learn. And I think those are the kind of conversations where it's like, I guarantee you he's going to be better set up than anybody putting 15% of your paycheck into a 401k for the next 30 years. Absolutely. Um, and then yet that barrier to entry felt so far away. And yet it started with just a good decision on the first decision. So it's not making a hundred good decisions today. It's mm. making a lot of baby decisions um, one step at a time. And I think that again, whatever that you know, adage of you eat a elephant one bite at a time, right? It, it feels big, but it's a lot of baby decisions in that direction. 
Yeah, I always read this quote that I was reminded of there um, from Sarah Heppola at our when I do our quarterly like State of the Union, and it's um, something along the lines of like, change is not lightning in a bottle. It's um, you know it's built brick by brick, and it's hard and it's slow, but it's it's also like so exciting to watch it take shape. Um, and I th that's just so my experience. Like you can tell the story of getting a rental portfolio where it seems like from the beginning you had this plan and you just were making all the right moves and stuff. That It didn't feel like that, um, if I'm being honest, right? It was a lot of scary things and, and missteps and partnerships that were, you know, I shouldn't have ever gotten into or whatever. So it's just like there was a lot of learning there. And, and I'll say, I, th I think though, like when you get to that point where you have two, three properties and clear a couple of those hurdles, it gets really fun. And it's like, all of a sudden it's, you feel like you're playing chess and you have some different, a lot more tools become available as you have equity across different properties. And so I would just say like, if you can stay in the game and get through some of those initial challenges of, and just those hard times of being fearful about it and thinking you made a big mistake and it, you know, it just feels so risky. Like if you can kind of navigate that and, and keep just stay the course. Um, it really, yeah, it really works out well. You know, I didn't live through 2008 when people lost everything and all that. But I think, I think even that, like we've learned so much from then and talked to anybody who's been at real estate investing for a while and they'll, and they're like, here's how to do it so that you're not poised like a lot of people were then. And we may have market shifts, but here's how to withstand that. And so you, yeah, you're always leveling up in, in your preparedness. If a listener is walking away from this conversation today and wants to continue their education into this space. Are there any particular sources, resources, podcasts, um, anything in particular that you really highly recommend books that, that uh, some of our listeners might want to go take a look at between now and when our next episode comes out? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of information out there for the investor. I mean, there's a huge community of Bigger Pockets, which is a very investor-friendly kind of community. Sometimes I feel like some of the things can go from zero to a hundred and it actually just takes the wind out of sales for people. So um, sometimes I recommend just start with a conversation of anybody in your sphere. If it is a investor meetup or something like just sit down and say, Hey, can I pick your brain for coffee? Like I personally feel like that's a better approach than reading all of the, the fancy things and all of the strategies and all of the you know, algorithms on how to analyze a property, sometimes that's jumping so far ahead that it can actually stunt the process, um, in my personal opinion, just from conversations I've had with people. So sometimes I think it's as simple as just like, hey, find somebody who owns a rental property and say, hey, can I take you out to coffee? And like, tell me some of the best things you learned and would you do it again? And, you know, ask them their story and ask them, hey, if they were to start over, what was the first thing they would do? And everybody wants to give away the information. It's like, it's, I think that within the real estate community, it's not intellectual property. It's not like I came up with this super sweet patent and I can't tell you about it. It's like, everybody wants to give all their information away. They'll tell you their best stories and their worst stories. And, um, I think that's really unique within the in real estate investment community, which is pretty cool. So that would be my personal opinion is just, you know, sit down and, uh, take somebody to coffee. Amazing. Yeah. I was thinking about how it's this weird balance of, I've also seen people overthink it, right. Where they're, you know, doing, creating all kinds of spreadsheets that are, you know, and, and trying to predict which neighborhoods are going <laughs> to out appreciate other neighborhoods and speculating on new developments and all this stuff. And so as far as resources, I, I was on this invest to fi podcast and people are talking through 
they really take one person at a time and often walk through just like your first deal. What were the numbers? And they try to like pull back the curtain and you just see a lot of this stuff was not as sexy as you might think. Like it was just kind of, so yeah, that would be one. I think, um, bigger pockets is just, I mean, it's almost, it's so massive. It's hard to even like wrap your head around, but a lot of good stuff there that can just meet you where you're at. I would definitely also shout out to kind of in line with what you were saying too. We do host here at Key Renter our own real estate investors meet up once a month. Um, and I'll make sure that the link to that meetup group is included in the notes. So if you really want to check out when our next one is being held, uh, we'd love to have you. We always try to have some events here and there to get like-minded investors together into the same space, both as an education space, but also as a networking opportunity. So if there's any of those coming up, we'll make sure that those are included on our socials and uh, included in the show notes. So definitely. Um, and I, I will shout out our, our digest as well. I think it comes from a good introductory place. It's been a great place also for myself as somebody who's not the most educated in the ins and outs of every aspect of this industry myself, but it's a good place where I've also been able to kind of use the experts that I've been exposed to at Key Renter as a way to educate myself along with. So one of my uh, exciting uh, visions for kind of my spot on this podcast is to kind of be the voice of the everyman, the voice of... Um, those who are listening who don't know necessarily how to reach the right people, but maybe I can have some of those conversations on their behalf. So I'm definitely excited about all of that. My goal on the other side is to get you to buy a property. This is true. I can vouch for that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's definitely, it's been really interesting though, because I found myself looking at things a lot more critically and more open-minded than I was before. Like I found one, Um, that I was really looking at for a second, just almost as a theoretical experiment of like, what would this look like if I was to buy this? But I I do have one kind of final wrap up question. So at the beginning of this episode, I asked you a little bit about the mentors that that kind of gave you perspective as to what it might look like to play a role in this industry. I wondered if you could leave our listeners with just a couple pieces of advice, some of which we may have touched on, but if there's anything else, for those who may not have had somebody displaying to them kind of what it looks like to be in this industry. Maybe like we talked about, you're a rental owner and you feel a little bit like you're out on a cliff by yourself and just, do I make this leap? Do I, do I jump all the way into this and and just see what happens? Is there any other pieces of advice or perspective that you could leave them with just as encouragement or inspiration or just a, a new way of thinking about this? I think I'm going to have to go with, with um, if you have not read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I don't even think it's like all that well written. There's some, uh, there's parts of it I find a little annoying, but it is so foundational to like how, even like, I think there's so many concepts in there that became just common vernacular. Even if you haven't read it, as you read it, you'll be like, oh, I've heard people say that. So I, I would just maybe start there. I think, I think that lays some really, really good groundwork for just heading down this road of even just like just this fundamental concept of like your W-2 income is not going to be the primary source of your wealth building. Things like that. Like until you really get that and can, and things like prioritizing your financial education, I'm going to leave it at that. No, I fully agree. That's like, it's a mindset shift, right? And so much of a mentor in life is somebody who is ahead in years who already has had a mindset shift. Well, you might not have that mentor in life. It does not mean that you can't take that approach to be a student. And I mean, I was driving to school, dropping my 
11-year-olds off today, and I had this conversation in the car. I said, okay, whatever you're facing today, and this is for me and my business, I put it on a sticky note on my screen this week of, uh, somebody was saying it, but perpetual forward motion. This idea of, okay, I still have to make a decision to move forward. We talk about accidental. Accidental is a victim word, right? It's what has happened to me, and now I'm just stuck. Well, this idea for moving from accidental to a purposeful investor, and it might not even be an investor. That might not be for you, and everything we're talking about today might not be for you, but I still would argue that, okay, without that mentor in life, or if you do have that mentor in life, it's this idea of just keep feeling for it. Keep making movement in the direction that you want to learn about. And, you know, I think there's so many leadership podcasts and mindset shift podcasts and books that can help reframe the way of looking at life. And I think that's just so invaluable, specifically when it comes to real estate investing, but just life in general of the fact that you're even listening to this podcast means there's a curiosity somewhere that says, I want to make a difference. I want to make a change. I want to be somewhere different in a year or five or 10. And so just an encouragement to you, keep doing that perpetual forward motion. Um, as you keep exploring and learning, um, it's maybe where I'd leave it. Fantastic. Thank you both again for sitting down and having this conversation with me. Seth, if any of our listeners are interested in connecting with you or working with you or just kind of getting more involved in your space, how can they go about doing that? How can they reach you? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll have my contact information um, at the bottom of the show notes just so that people can reach out. Um, One of the things that I absolutely love is just that initial conversation. So obviously there's no cost at all to have conversations. Um, we do, there's in the lending space, that's, it's more than just pre-approval. It's a bigger conversation on what are your goals? What's your budget look like? What's your strategy and even providing some insight there. So I usually recommend that if you're thinking of this in any direction, finances are a huge piece of that. I say, everybody's got their own financial chess pieces on their chessboard until we navigate that chessboard together. Uh, we can actually come up with a plan. Um, so that's what I would recommend first, whether you're a first time home buyer, whether you're looking at um, other investment properties or keeping your current home and buying other ones, um, usually sooner rather than later. So many people call me when it's like, oh, I found my dream house. And it's like, well, that that's a harder spot to have the conversation. So sooner rather than later to come up with a plan um, and all of my information will be in there that you can reach out. Amazing. Thank you again. We'll make sure to have um, some good contact information for our team at KeyRenter if you want to discuss any of this further or, or discuss what property management might look like or just kind of anything involved uh, in what we provide. But I think with that, uh, I'll say thank you both so much for your time and thank you all for listening in and joining us on our first episode of the podcast. We will be back with our next episode along with the release of the November edition of the Denver Landlords Digest. So until then, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for the Denver Landlords Digest podcast. This podcast is produced by Key Renter Denver Property Management with executive producers Jeremy Haig, Brandon Skolton, and Andrew Tybert. We hope you'll take a moment and click the link in our show notes to subscribe to the monthly Denver Landlords Digest e-newsletter and visit our website at www.keyrenterdenver.com to access our full archive of past editions. Thank you so much, and we wish you all the best of luck in all of your renting and investing endeavors. 
If there are specific topics or conversations you would like to see both in the digest and on this podcast, please take a moment and email jeremy at keyrenterdenver.com.